0: Hello again, and welcome back to Farrington Film. This episode is essentially an addition to one of the first episodes I put out back in March 2020, which was the required learning episode for Whiplash. In that episode, I go through the context surrounding Whiplash, elements of key sequence analysis, and other related tidbits including the pivotal specialist writing. As per the exam board, you are required to engage with three pieces of specialist writing that have been produced in response to one of the choices of American independent cinema, In this case, Whiplash. The extracts studied will not be provided inside the exam. You're required to work closely with them alongside the study of Whiplash ahead of the exam. There's no requirement for you to memorize any of the key quotes from the extracts as long as you're aware of one or two key ideas from the extract. You may wish to use small quotes to illustrate your points, but this is not compulsory. In the actual exam, you will be required to indicate which extracts you have studied. The question may ask you to refer to a key sequence of your choice and or refer to key ideas mentioned in the specialist writing. The aim of this part of the exam is for you to engage with other people's ideas. The ideas presented are out for debate and can be argued against if you so wish. The question is worth 15 marks and your understanding of the specialist writing will always be assessed. This next disclaimer is specifically aimed at the students I teach as it reflects my own schemes of work So if you're a student from another school, I would suggest checking in with your teacher as to how to proceed. We will read or study all three pieces of specialist writing, but my advice to you, my students, is if the question only requires you to discuss one piece of specialist writing, is to go for option C. So for this episode, I thought it would be a great idea to speak to Tom Beasley, the author of the option C specialist writing for Whiplash, which the exam board referred to as Whiplash, Men and Masculinity. So without further ado, here is my chat with Tom Beasley. Uh, So then, before we really get started and into the kind of nitty-gritty of it, um, I did want to make reference to the whole original article that you wrote. Um, So for the GCSE, we only need to study, analyse and interact with the whiplash portion. But the main article is an analysis on whiplash and Foxcatcher, which is a film that I think I've only seen once, but I did enjoy it. But I think it's because it's a heavy watch. Um, But I just wanted to this is generally just my own question, nothing to do with the GCSE or anything. What made you consider comparing both of those in terms of masculinity?
1: Yeah, I think it was it was interesting. It was because that year was, was so focused on, because it was almost before we had Oscars so white, we mm. kind of had Oscars so male. And I think that year off the top of my head was sort of Birdman, Boyhood, American Sniper, I think was the other big one yep. in that year. And so the Oscars was just so overwhelmingly male and not just male, but macho. And so I think that's kind of what played into it for me. And obviously Foxcatcher with, with maleness, wrestling is such a kind of uh, an evocation of that, isn't it? It's like, it's almost the purest expression of masculinity. And one of the first things you see in Foxcatcher is the sparring scene between the two brothers. And, you know, they're not saying anything to each other and from memory I haven't seen it in a while but the sound is really pared back and it's almost all the squeak of the floor and the grunts of the men and it's all about them kind of trying to win over each other because they're brothers and the sibling rivalry and then when John DuPont comes in and he's all about trying to be the man he isn't really and so I think in comparison to Whiplash I found it really fascinating because they are both about not necessarily being masculine, but about performing masculine.
0: This idea of John DuPont being essentially almost on the same level as Terrence Fletcher in that the, I, I would say they're both, they've both failed at different things in their lives and they're just projecting the failure onto these people and they're being horribly aggressive, you know, while they're doing it as well. And, um, just as a side note, I've muted because my daughter's walked up the stairs. <laughs> and with Zoom, if I just hold the space bar, it allows me to speak, and then I can quickly do it in case the door opens. <laughs> yeah, she's a nuisance for that. um Okay, so I think uh, there are many ways in which a student could go about beginning to answer a question, such as how far do you agree or disagree with the points raised, or. Even one question that's come up in the uh, sample assessment materials is how has this piece of specialist writing deepened your understanding of the film? Um, there are so many different ways in which a teacher can begin to tackle the subject and teach it. But for me in my classes, we focus on four main points. So the four points are women are underrepresented in the film as seen in the Oscars of 2015 uh whiplash is a study of masculinity fletcher being represented as the alpha male and andrew as a sensitive law who sees fletcher as his masculine ideal the poor representations of women in the film so nicole who's underwritten and only serves to aid andrew on his path to manhood and the final scene is a battle of the alpha males and a happy ending for andrew who surpasses his masculine goals by earning the respect of fletcher so what we're going to do we'll take them one at a time i'm going to read through the associated content from the article And then we basically just go from there with our thoughts and opinions and things like that. So if we kick off with the women are underrepresented in film as seen in the Oscars of 2015. So from your article, much was made in the media about the noticeable maleness of the Academy Awards this year. Not a single single woman was nominated for either Best Director or Best Screenplay. But more than that, the Oscars 2015 was dominated by films about men and about masculinity itself. So like you've just kind of touched upon there with Foxcatcher, with American Sniper, things like that. Um, So this was also around the time of Oscars So White, but I think that one came afterwards um, or maybe even before actually. And we've got Whiplash being another one of those films with a lack of not just female representation, but the representation of people of colour and that there are people of colour in the film, but they are mute musicians in a weird way in that we don't hear them speak or anything like that. And admittedly, it's a difficult one to interact with in terms of a point, but is there anything that you kind of initially thought about in terms of the lack of representation in the film? I, I don't see that there's a vindictive reason behind it. I don't think Damien Chazelle's written it going, well, this is all about men and I'm only going to stick a woman in there because she serves as an aide on the way there. But I just think that in terms of Nicole being Nicole, and we'll come to her in a little bit when we talk about her being underwritten, she does stick out a little bit of a sore thumb in that we have a for essentially the first act, maybe even the start of the second act, and then she disappears pretty much altogether. Um, At what point in the film did you kind of realise is there much point to this character at all?
1: It's interesting because there's not a lot of point to her as a human being, but she does serve a sort of narrative utility to the storytelling, which, you know, we talk about that in, in 2020, and it feels kind of grotesque in 2020 or 2021 to be talking like that and it is because we've got a lot better even in this five years at using female characters better and giving them their own internal life but notably the only female character we ever see Andrew interact with and so it's I think I wrote in the article it's striking that as soon as he kind of gets the initial seal of approval from Fletcher the first thing he does is go well now I've got to get a girlfriend that's the only woman I know I'm gonna go and speak to her and that's really striking as, um, and I don't think it's it's uncommon for for men to see relationships as being part of the performance of, of masculinity. I think that's such a, a key part of it. And ultimately, it's a part of it. We kind of see Andrew reject, and then, obviously, at that point, the film sort of rejects Nicole because she has, you know, big air quotes, served her narrative utility. Um <laughs> And so I think looking at, looking at whiplash from 2021, if you're going to really criticize it, that's the thing to criticize it on. Because it is, you know, it, it seems to imply that this is an entirely male pursuit when mm. really, you know, any music school worth their soul is gonna have a sizable female population, all of whom will be as talented and in many cases considerably more talented than the guys. But this has this film has has no room for that. And it's part of it's partly because of how pared down it is. It's partly because of the fact that it's ultimately a movie about masculinity. And it is a movie about two male characters who have basically forsaken the chance to live a rounded and full life in order to be more macho than the other one.
0: Yeah. it's Because I was just thinking then about the the women that we see in the film, and I think I've counted three. Mm. We've got the female musician who sits at the front in the, it's not studio band, it's the other one. And he says, let's just see if you sat there because you're cute. Um, And then his, yeah, his auntie, who just seems to poke the burr when they have that kind of dinner conversation. Um, And then obviously Nicole. Um, So it is, I think I'm fully in agreement with you about her being a narrative utility. Um, Because I'm sure he even says like, you're going to stop me from being great Like, she is the obstacle on his way of achieving that.
1: Yes, exactly. It's almost like, it's almost, I thought I needed you as a a sort of um, accessory in my rise to greatness, but actually I don't, and now I'm going to get rid of you in the most callous, heartless way possible, and then come crawling back. And noticeably, he doesn't really crawl back when he's at his lowest ebb. He crawls back when he feels like he's back on the way up. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, well, now I'm back at my macho best. I'm going to need that accessory back. And so it's really unpleasant. And I think, you know, you watch the film and we are invited to sort of revel in Andrew's success at the end. But also both he and Fletcher are pretty pathetic specimens of humans. (laughs) Like we spoke uh, we spoke about um, Fletcher and John Dupont in Foxcatcher, both being characters who've failed. And I think you see that really, you know, succinctly in Fletcher, you know, because he doesn't. He's not dressed as fancy as his band when he takes to the stage. He has that b- black polo shirt, and then on top of it, he puts the suit jacket, and it's really quite incongruous. It's as if he puts it on only as kind of part of the uniform. He has essentially stripped every element of his personality back, and I think he sees himself as a utility. Yeah. He, he almost says it in the scene with, with Andrew when he meets him at the bar, And he almost says, I have given up everything of myself in order to find my Charlie Parker.
0: There is that weird juxtaposition. I think that brings us nicely onto the second point. And we're going to come back to Nicole in just a little bit. So the second point that we look at is Whiplash, obviously, being this study of masculinity. Fletcher being represented as the alpha male. Andrew being the sensitive loner who sees Fletcher as his kind of masculine ideal. So... Uh, from the article then, so Damien Chazelle's exhilarating drama Whiplash tells the story of Andrew, played by Miles Teller, as he struggles to become the lead drummer in his music school's decorated jazz band, run by man- uh, tyrannical musician Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons. Andrew practices hard and knows that he's pretty good, but he needs to be validated. His mother left when he was young, so Andrew has been brought up without a female figure in his life. He craves approval, but has a somewhat sterile relationship with his father, who doesn't seem to understand what Andrew was doing. The notion of being approved by Fletcher, recognised alpha male, excites Andrew to the degree that he's prepared to do just about anything. Fletcher Rip represents everything that Andrew idealises. He's a whirlwind of acid tongue testosterone and is 100% sure of his talent. Fletcher doesn't need validation from anyone because he sits at the top of the food chain, both in terms of music and masculinity. Even Fletcher's appearance is one of masculine performance. He's stripped down in terms of his shaven head and his plain black clothing with no sort of flourish upon his body. For Fletcher, there's no need for this kind of style conscious appearance so favoured by the modern metrosexual man. Andrew is a baby-faced youngster who seems unkempt in his appearance. He doesn't have the same focus as Fletcher. Now, personally, I love this idea of Fletcher having no flourish upon his body that he is kind of stripped back, he's stripped down in terms of his personality, his appearance, the juxtaposition of his appearance being almost one note, but then his work, his talent, his aggression, his teaching being so much more nuanced than that. And we also talk about this idea that him walking in, wearing the suit jacket, wearing the trousers, wearing the pork pie style hat. If you're seeing him walking down the street, you're he's like, he's, like, he's just stereotypical, stereotypical jazz man. But then as soon as he goes into his studio band or the rehearsal room, it's hats off, earphones around. Let's take the suit jacket off. I've got a really tight, like black T-shirt on that's accentuating every single muscle that I have in my body. And I'm now an instructor and I'm now basically your martial arts instructor for the next however many sequences. Um, What did you make of Fletcher when you watched the film for the first time?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you watch it for the first time, he is, as I said, that whirlwind of testosterone. And you you know, you have, you recognise him. It's the sort of full metal jacket thing. Yes. The, the drill instructor in full metal jacket. And you you, you laugh at how horrible he is to people. You're scared of him. You, and, and so I think that's what comes through in a first watch. But then when you watch it the second time, you realise all of that stuff that's there, all of that utility. That scene you mentioned when he first walks into the band room, and it falls silent and we go to uh, Andrew's point of view And the camera Which is Andrew's eyes at this point fetishizes every movement Fletcher makes It's his shiny shoes on the floor It's when he stops at the hat stand He removes the hat so deliberately The earphones really deliberately Takes off the jacket and then he's in his As you say, his instructor uniform basically And it it's so fetishistic The way the camera focuses on that He's like, that's the man I want to be
0: Yeah, he just Every little movement he makes, you just immediately get this idea of this guy knows exactly what he's doing, yeah. he knows exactly what he wants, the amount of authority he's got when he walks into that room. And you know, we're about to see Andrew just want to be this guy. So then when he eventually gets ripped apart by him in the whole rushing or dragging, which is just I would say an iconic scene now at this yes, point, it is. Um, it's just it's on another level altogether because. There was, there was quite a funny thing recently. I was teaching it to the year 10s um, just before we finished for Christmas and um, literally at the point where he just yelled the first F word, mm. the principal walked in so <laughs> to, to give us some vouchers for the students, and all of my attends just looked at me like, "Oh no, what has she done?" And I, I met up with her afterwards, and I said, "Of all the times for you to walk in, I'm I'm so sorry. I know, <laughs> but thankfully she found the humour in that, because um, it is a great one to teach. Because you get we there's almost like a path in film studies of we're going to start off with Attack the Block, and it's going to be a film that." because of the context that we're in, a lot of the students relate to it and they can understand the kind of slang word, the colloquialisms, things like that, the situation that the characters are in themselves in the film. We then get to Sotsi, which is the first foreign language film for a lot of them. But again, they can relate to that because it's a similar genre in terms of crime and things like that. District 9 is the big one where it's like, whoa, a film can actually be a metaphor for something. Yeah. You then get into the historical development between Rebel and Ferris. But then when you get to Whiplash, they watch it for a while and I think even one of my year 11s mentioned this like, this year, where they kind of went, "I'm not understanding the purpose of this film." Mm-hmm. And then the first time Fletcher just lets rip on Mets, who before he even gets to Andrew, and he's like, "You know, there's not there's not a Mars bar down there, there's yeah. not a Happy Meal down there." It, they just kind of they they start looking at each other and going, "Who is who's this guy?" And it's it's silent actually in the classroom. You get a couple of mutters of like. I would not let anyone speak to me like that. And I, my always kind of case in point back to them is you wouldn't know how to act in a situation like that. Like as much as, yeah, you're with your mates and you want to kind of go, no, no one had ever talked to me like that. It's like, you, would, you wouldn't know how to act at yeah. all. Well, the like, thing with that
1: character as well is he's being asked a very simple question about tuning yeah. to which there's no question. That guy definitely knew the answer to that question. <laughs> But it's like, there was an old, I think it was Lee Evans' uh, stand-up bit where he used yeah. to do it about how when you're driving a car and you hear an ambulance siren behind you, you forget how to drive a car. Yes. Even though you know how to drive a car. And that's exactly what it's like. The guy knows he is in tune, but because he's being asked about it by this terrifying figure, he, he doesn't know. He's and again, the, the idea
0: of building a world there of, clearly he's seen him do this before. Yes. Yeah. And he knows which way it's going to go. It doesn't. Yeah, there, that, there is, so. there's a sort
1: of, and we see it throughout the movie, the rest of the band have this sort of weary resignation about them. So like the, the scene late on where he's cycling through the three drummers until they get it right. Yes. And it's going on for hours and hours and hours. And the rest of the band, you know, he tells them to go and get coffee and we can see them just sort of sitting around outside. And, you know, it's not the first time that's happened.
0: Yeah, definitely. Where well, they're all just like, oh, he's doing this again. Last yeah. week it was the guy who plays the trombone, now it's exactly. the drummer. I'm like, Oh, that's me, <laughs> that's me, <born."> yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> there's um, always, and there's
1: also a sense with Fletcher, and i, I picked this up a lot on my, my recent rewatch, that I don't necessarily believe he cares about anyone in that room other than the one he has chosen as his project. Mm. Very early on, he decides that um, that Andrew is his Charlie Parker, And so I don't think he cares about anyone else in that room.
0: The rest are good enough to get him a kind of... You know, a a win at regionals or whatever it is, but they're never going to be fantastic. Whereas for whatever reason, he sees in Andrew, oh, you could be great, but I need to push you this far. And one thing that we talk about in class quite a bit is, does the film condone his methods? Um, I don't think it does. I don't think... Because I think for it to condone his methods, it needs to essentially be, oh my God, Andrew's a fantastic drummer. Look at how great Andrew is. That's
1: that's exactly what I was going to say. We don't don't know what happens after that final scene.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think
1: we're supposed to see it as this big moment, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but we're supposed to see it as this massive moment, but we don't know if he does anything after that. That's a one-off gig. It's implied that you know people are there who make decisions about this, that, and the other, but we don't know because... Mm it narrows the focus down to the only thing Andrew cares about in that moment, which is winning over this one man.
0: Yeah, because there's a lot of criticism that we look at when we do contexts about how people who are involved in jazz and musicians and things like that, their, their trouble with the film is that Andrew's more bothered about his technique rather than creating music. And he's just bothered about how fast he can drum, how kind of relentlessly he can do it, and almost proven a point, now to where we get the scenes of blood and sweat and tears and, you know, blood-stained drum kits and things like that. Um, and again, to the point where Fletcher says in one scene, can you wipe the blood off my drum kit? <laughs> it's like, he it just doesn't care. Yeah. He's used to it at this but point. But then we
1: get we get that same fetishistic camera on the blood yeah because Andrew's like, "This is how I know I'm great, because I'm bleeding over the drum kit, yeah. because I can't literally pick up my sticks without bandaging my hands over the blisters, you know, to the point that he tumbles into the performance after being in a car accident. And that was know, the one scene: his car.
0: Yeah that was the one scene that I was about to mention where the, the key tipping point is that he can't, his hand isn't functioning the way it should do. He can't even hold a drumstick but yet he's still thinking that he has something to prove and that he has to do this. And it's just, it's weird that in terms of Andrew and in terms of his background as a character, we know that he's from a single parent family because his mum left when he was a, a child. And that uh, I think weirdly, if, if it was almost the opposite, as if his father left when he was a child and it was his mum that was looking after him and it was the idea that he was without a father figure, is that the reason why he's trying so hard to impress this man? But is it just because his dad doesn't really understand Andrew, doesn't really understand his music, and he's just thinking, you know, you are this masculine utopia that I'm essentially going to try and reach? Yeah, well, that's
1: it. There's a, there's a toxicity, isn't there, in, mm. in this idea that the your only merit as a man is if you reach the top of your profession. Yeah, now, 99.9% of us will not come close to the top of our profession in their life, and most of us uh, are lucky enough to be in a caring and nurturing enough environment that we can accept that and live fruitful lives despite the fact that, you know, I'm not the best film critic ever, and you, you know, I don't know, you might be the best teacher ever. I am not but... <laughs> the best teacher ever. I do
0: not claim to be.
1: <laughs> but, you know, we're both able to accept that and, yeah. and still enjoy our careers and try hard, but I I don't know what accounts for that with with Andrew, but it's certainly true of a lot of men that they have this, you know, we see it in the, not for much longer, but current president of the United States. Yes. Who, you know, has this whole thing that he has to be the biggest and the strongest and the best and the loudest. And it's all superlatives. And that's a toxicity that I think afflicts a lot of men. Mm. There's this environment where it's still this old fashioned ideal of man as hunter-gatherer, provider, forager, and, you you know, either have
0: to be the best at something or you're not something, essentially. Exactly. And, yeah. and you
1: see that with the the, the dinner table scene where yes. you've got the other lads in who are these sports stars, but they're not sports stars that, you know, that Andrew recognises because they're not at the very top of the profession. You know, they're, they're achieving well for who they are.
0: There was a student a couple of years ago who off his own back came up with the hierarchy of masculinity and whiplash. And he had, obviously, you know Fletcher was at the top. Andrew was quite the the, the, the further way down. But he'd put Andrew above Andrew's father. Um, he'd put Andrew below his cousins and below his uncle. Um, I think he just tried to drag however many male characters he mm. could from the film. It was really quite interesting what he'd done with it.
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of fascinating because the film, I think, invites us because we see the whole thing through Andrew's perspective and that accounts for the male toxicity and the, the misogyny of the portrayal of, of Nicole if you were trying to justify it, that's how you justify it, because we're seeing Mm. it all from this character's perspective. Um, And that comes through in, in that masculinity, especially in the character of his dad, who the film, I think, wants us to think is a bit pathetic. But really, he's just exactly that person we've talked about who's just come to terms with where they are in their life. You know, he's just us. Andrew's dad is just a normal bloke.
0: Yeah. It's quite relatable as well, because I'm assuming everyone has that other person, that other family member in their lives who, because they're a similar age, they get compared to Mm. in terms of, have you done this yet? Oh, because this person's done this. You know, have you not done that at your school? Well, this person's done it this year, you know. Um, Okay, so if we go back to Nicole then. So the third point is the... Poor representations of women in the film, so Nicole, who is underwritten and serves only to aid Andrew on his path to manhood. So Andrew's acceptance into Fletcher's band early on in Whiplash Marks, in his view, his seat at the table of masculinity, as you kind of alluded to before. It's it's significant that merely being a member of the band transforms Andrew from a distant loner into the arrogant man who immediately enters into a relationship with Nicole. Andrew believes that he him being in a relationship is part of his duty as a man and so he simply asks for a date from the only girl he ever meets the box office girl at the cinema that he regularly visits nicole is nothing but lovely to andrew however he decides to give her the chop when she realize, when he realizes that she impedes his path to success for andrew his first real female connection is nothing more than a distraction from his work at winning the approval of the uber macho fletcher When he realises that his relationship with Nicole is an inessential part of his masculine performance, he sees no reason to keep it going, for Andrew it was never about love or even lust. Critics have since bemoaned the underwritten nature of Nicole's role in Whiplash, and it's irksome that in such a male-dominated awards year, what her character in the film is a reflection of how the protagonist sees her. For Andrew... Uh, just like every other uh, kind of human connection, she's merely a human being and a utility on his path to mask and utopia. Now, I mentioned this uh, kind of earlier um, that there's a clip that I use in my lessons. It's quite sad, really, um, but it's all of Nicole's screen time accumulated into one clip and it lasts for a measly nine minutes. Um, so it's at the cinema at the pizza place being dumped and on the phone at the end. Um, and I think it's an extremely unlikable move for our protagonist to not even try with Nicole once he gets the thought in his head that she's going to be a roadblock. Because like you mentioned before, we have that, we, we see you initially and she just serves him and he's kind of just like, thank you, and walks off. Then he gets the compliment from Fletcher and he's like, look at me, I'm the greatest. I'm going to go and ask this girl out who we I quite fancy. And then he's brought back down to earth and his self-esteem with it in the initial rehearsal, rushing our dragon scene. They then have that quite awkward, but I suppose sentimental scene in the pizza place where they're playing footsie with each other under the table and talking about how the parents don't like them. Um, And then when he then wants to be better, he just automatically just assumes, well, she's going to stop me. And there's that really awkward scene where he just says, I want to be great and you're not going to let me do that and it's it's just I don't even have a question for you about (laughs) Nicole, but it's just like, I do wonder and I'd love to ask Damien Chazelle himself what he thought about it, but it must have been that in his head, he thought he needs to show somebody who is that obsessed with what they want to achieve, that I'm going to introduce a character, I'm going to let people like her a little bit, but then basically she's just out of the way but I think the issue here is the nine minutes of screen time. um what did how long did it take you to kind of come to grasp with the purpose of I was that similar to a question that I've already asked you? Um, <laughs> but I just I can't for, for whatever reason when we look at this film, it's like it's almost obvious to me that this is a, a a masculine performance and it's a study of masculinity. Nicole is such an enigma to me as to why she's even in the film in the first place that I just sit here and ponder it sometimes. I'm just like, what what purpose does she serve other than the fact of going, oh, wouldn't this be nice? Nah, he wants to, you know, he wants to be up there. So she's just a roadblock at the minute. And I think that her treatment is awful, essentially.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder if the reason she's in the movie is to guard against us liking Andrew too much.
0: Okay, that's a good because show. Because
1: it's it's ob- it's by the country mile the most mm. dislikable thing he does in the whole movie yes um largely because nicole is without question a delight from the first moment we see her um, until the last moment we see her and, and melissa ben is a wonderful actor i was a big glee fan um and so i was uh, very pleased to see her getting a, a big movie role um and i think what almost saves it is the fact that we never see her be a roadblock mm. i think a lesser film would have put in a scene where he says he's going to meet her, and then she's outside
0: tapping her foot and looking exactly, at the phone. <laughs>
1: exactly, and then she, you know, rings him up, and they have a big row about oh, how you're choosing drumming over me. But they they don't do that. Like I was thinking, a film I really really love and adore, The Social Network. Yeah, Andrew Garfield's character's girlfriend is just framed as a psychopath who is oh, getting yeah, in the yeah. way of his. His it's the big, big misstep in that movie. <laughs> the scene where he buys her a scarf and she sets fire to it.
0: Yes. Yeah. And she's
1: freaking out about the fact his relationship status says single <laughs> on Facebook, even though he's the founder of Facebook. <laughs> and it's there's no comparable scene in Whiplash. We don't have no. that, that unsympathetic portrayal of Nicole. She is everything she does is sympathetic, even when the scene that Andrew sees as such a betrayal where he's yeah. on the phone and she says, oh, that, by the way, the writing in that scene is beautiful.
0: He's so surprised that she's got a boyfriend.
1: Yeah, and it's the because the, the way she has held the conversation, she hasn't considered for a second it might be a romantic call. No. And so she just casually goes, oh, I'll just have to check with my boyfriend. She's not sticking the knife in. But because we, going,
0: You dumped me, you know. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah
1: because she's just such a nice person she's, <laughs> she just thought this guy she knew phoned her up to say do you want to come to a jazz concert um and so well, I think I think that's wonderful I think it's so um so sympathetic to Nicole and so I think because it because the movie seems to like her so much it almost gets away with the fact that she's only in it for nine minutes
0: yeah I think some of the reactions that we get from the students is that it's When he dumps her, it's like, is he dumping her? Why is he dumping her? What's happened? And then they kind of realise that he's he's essentially seeing Fletcher as a single man with Mm -hmm. nothing that's stopping him from getting there. Again, I would imagine there'd be a totally different scene if, for whatever reason, Fletcher's wife picked him up one time or there was a wedding ring on his finger or something like that. Um, And then at the end of the film, when he rings her back and says, oh, do you want to come to this JVC thing? He gets students at the back of the room going, well, serves you right. Why well, you ask? well, you're ringing an f gosh Of course yeah. you've got to buy a friend. She's moved on. It's along. interesting because
1: around the time they do the breakup, um, I be- watching it again, I became absolutely obsessed with the colour of clothing they wear. Okay. Um, around that time, that's when Andrew stops wearing white shirts and starts wearing black shirts like Fletcher.
0: Yeah. Because this that's is a the, big the, thing, Yeah, yeah.
1: The very first scene with them, when he first sees him practicing andrew is in this white shirt so it's this naivety it's this purity it's this untapped talent and there's fletcher in his in his black shirt but yeah as soon as andrew begins to think well oh, i'm getting up there with fletcher he starts <laughs> copying his clothes which is it, it's never remarked upon by the movie but it's yeah. a really
0: nice touch it's um it's one of the things that when we come to the final scene as well we look at where um he he turns up to the, the JBC competition wearing exactly what Fletcher would wear <laughs> in, in like he was teaching. Everyone else is wearing like a white shirt and, you know, yeah. so he's decided now I'm going to come in a black shirt. And it's like because you have no idea how to dress yourself, you've just gone, well, Fletcher wears that. So I'm going to wear that too. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the final point then. So the final scene is a battle of the alpha males and a happy ending for Andrew who surpasses his masculine goals by en- by earning the respect of Fletcher. Uh, so the final piece from your article is masculinity becomes a performance and a competition between two figures battling to out alpha the other is the film's finale. In an attempt at revenge for Andrew making a complaint about Fletcher's treatment, the latter sets him up for a fall at an important concert. After initially fleeing the stage, Andrew returns and defiantly leads the band himself, defying Fletcher's authority and indeed his masculinity. The final sequence focuses on how masculine conflicts can abruptly turn into magic. The two men go from full bodied war to grudging respect in the, in the space of a single scene. Andrew finally succeeds in earning the respect of Fletcher by beating him at his own game. He proves that he can hold his own in a masculine arena by taking on the alpha. And in that scene, Andrew finally succeeds in achieving his own personal masculine utopia. Um, first point from me, when I was a kid, I always knew a film was about to end when a fight happened. And I think that comes from how many Disney films I watched. This is the fight scene at the end of Whiplash. This yeah. is, oh, wait a minute, the film's going to end because they've just battered each other. <laughs> And it's just, it's so superbly directed, shot, lit, staged, framed, everything in that you believe it being a fight scene. And I remember, you know, like we try and teach every different camera shot and we try and teach every different angle and movement and things like that. And there was a a bit in the final where one of the students who'd seen it for the first time kind of said, Sir, so, what would you call that? And it's the point where the camera's just whipping really fast yeah. between Fletcher yeah, yeah. and Andrew, and I'm just like, just say it's a really fast whip pan. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, but you know, the director was doing it by tapping the cameraman's shoulder so he could just move that quickly. Um, but yeah, I think that's a superb scene. What's your initial thoughts on the scene?
1: It's, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Mm. I mean, like we'll we'll unpick what it all means narratively, but beyond anything else it is kind of and i I wrote this on twitter because i'm not afraid of hyperbole it is (laughs) cinema at its purest that scene it is sound and vision combined in the most incredible way and you know the two times i've seen it in a cinema it it just fills you everything about it just fills you um i remember watching um uh, last year portrait of a lady on fire which also ends with a big musical finale that kind of gets inside your chest and i i think I remember saying when I saw it that was the first time I'd felt that since Whiplash. Nice, um, and that ending of, of Whiplash is is just phenomenal. Like you say, it's so perfectly staged. Um, it is. It's like the end of Avengers Endgame with yeah. drumsticks. Like that's what it is. It's it's a big action set piece um, in which it's just a guy on drums. Um, but I think it's telling. I think actually, as much as it is. And the film really portrays it as this theater of masculinity, which is what it is. And we'll unpack that. But there's also something a little bit pathetic about it, that Fletcher, this guy of incredible reputation, is willing to cock up his own band just to get at Andrew. And, you know, it's valid, I think, to ask the question, does he intend to mess him up so he gives up? Or is he hoping for what ultimately happens? It's is, it's
0: such a weird one, because, again, you think that this guy who I'm just going to assume here, he must be around about 50 years old as a character, late 40s, early 50s. And he's just thought, I want to go into this really like this massive competition. I'm going to get Andrew to be my drummer. And for the first song, I'm really going to mess him up.
1: That's it. He's, they're the opening like, act of this like festival.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like. He thinks he's gonna be playing Whiplash and giving everybody else Caravan. Like it's like, in one sense, it's really childish, and then in the other sense, I'm almost like, is it this idea that he either wanted to try and push him once more to see if he really was great and if he was gonna fight back, if he wasn't gonna fight back, that told Fletcher everything he needed to know about Andrew and that he's not the next Charlie Parker. Mm. But then if if that is the case and you don't claw the performance back, Fletcher's then putting his own reputation on the line by then turning to a full crown and going, drummer will crap, weren't he? But let's yeah. let's move <laughs> yeah. on with it. Like,
1: exactly. And I mean it is childish, but so is masculinity as a yeah. as 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 yeah. a concept. It's incredibly childish. It's pushing the kid over because you're bigger than him to get the shiny <laughs> toy. That's that's what it is. Um I think, yeah, I think it's yeah, that I think it's really telling the way they both act in this scene. And I think the the question of whether he intends it is really interesting because it comes just after that scene where they're discussing Fletcher's methods in the bar and Andrew says, do you worry that you'll stop encouraging the next Charlie Parker yeah. and they'll just give up? And Fletcher just really calmly says the next Charlie Parker would not be discouraged. Yeah. And and I think that's it. That's it. This is Fletcher testing to see if he is the new Charlie Parker by subjecting him to the most incredible embarrassment.
0: Um, that whole jazz bar scene is Fletcher as a I suppose like a panther mm. of just being really quiet and really kind of like yes, Andrew. Well, this is what we're going to do. I need a drummer, Andrew. And then it's like yeah, yeah I know what you did
1: because it's power <laughs> dynamics in in a nutshell. Andrew yeah. goes into that scene and. You see, he's scared of Fletcher when Fletcher looks at him. But then they sit down, and Andrew sort of, I think, feels like he's in a bit of a position of power. Mm. It's a bit like, you've not got a hold over me anymore. I've given up drumming. Um, it I've feels got like you he's knocked from your down
0: off his peg kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And then what we see over the course of that conversation is Fletcher putting himself back on the peg. <laughs> yeah.
0: By I was convincing at your level Andrew,
1: <laughs> yeah convincing Andrew that his methods are entirely justified even though they're not they're psychotic um, but he convinces him of that and then he does the almost the Columbo just one more thing doesn't he, he yeah. goes, by yeah. the way <laughs> by complete coincidence I've got this opportunity and I need a drummer
0: <laughs> yeah just just in case um, one point of contention in the past two years of teaching this is whether or not Andrew surpasses Fletcher in terms of this kind of alpha male battle. I don't think he does surpass him. I think what happens is that they meet at mutual respect for each other. Um, And I think that's evident from the close-ups and the cross-cut that we get at the end. Um, And this idea of but I mean, I, what I mean by meeting at mutual respect, there's a lot more legwork leg to, to meet mutual respect from uh, Andrew's point of view than Fletcher's. Yes. <laughs> Fletcher just has to go, oh, you are pretty good, aren't you? Whereas Andrew's yeah. like, I'm bleeding, keep going. <laughs> well,
1: I think it's quite interesting because they sort of, it, it's not Andrew takes control and then he has control forever. There's a, a sort of seeding of control that happens. Yeah. That's where the respect is, that once Andrew has taken it over, Fletcher just eventually has to admit that he's lost control of this. But then once the, they're halfway through that incredible solo, Fletcher starts to conduct him again, and Andrew starts to listen to what he's saying. Mm. And yet, a, like you say, that's it. That's the meeting of the, the sort of mutual respect. Is that Andrew now knows he's won enough respect to give the control back?
0: It is a strange one because, like you mentioned, where you know he's leading everything, and he's saying to the guy next to him with a big double bass, he's saying, "I'll, I'll, you know, I'll feed you in," kind of thing. Yeah. Um, we're just we're going to do. Uh, he says to
1: Fletcher, "Then
0: I'll cue you in for the next yeah, track as well." Yeah, um, and then we get that one little bit, and you kind of get murmurs from the back of the class where Fletcher lifts the symbol up, and yes. some, you know one of the kids at the back of the class always goes, "Oh, he's helping him," and it's like, "Oh yeah, this is this is where we are now." But then, like you say, they essentially they meet at this level pegging, but then what happens is Fletcher then retorts to him, being, "I'm in control again now." but you're doing everything I need you to do. Mm. And then you get that kind of really nice shot at the end with the, um, the parallel of the close-ups. Mm. At the end. So I was,
1: I was reading about that final shot, and it's something I hadn't thought of before, but I thought when I watched it this time, I thought, we don't see his mouth. And I think you're supposed to question whether he says good job.
0: Because he says there's no two words worse exactly. than hearing good job. Yeah.
1: I think if you think that he says good job, then Andrew has surpassed Fletcher because he's made Fletcher abandon his golden rule.
0: Yeah.
1: And at that point, Fletcher will basically go at that point, there's my Charlie Parker. I no longer need to do this. And he will just go back to his house and eat pizza <laughs> and a- allow himself to burst out of that t-shirt.
0: <laughs> and just go, Yes, my protege is exactly earning because me-
1: that's that's what happens with him stripping himself back. He's like, any element of my personality is gone It's what that one scene where he's interacting with the little kid mm. and it's the only time you ever see Fletcher have a personality
0: yeah 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 where it's like oh so, my god I can't believe you're this big and yeah, yeah.
1: and then yeah. <laughs> Andrew looks at him like he's an alien yeah. when he's watching that scene because for him Fletcher is just this single-minded masculine force but you know maybe Fletcher does have a home to go back to and a- <laughs>
0: Because now that you've just mentioned the thing about good job, I kind of went a different way then in my interpretation of the ending. That if it is that he says good job to Andrew at the end and then knowing that apparently good job are the two most harmful words in the English language, is it then that he's just gone, oh, good job, and then straight afterwards he's gone, right, now you can do one. Like, you have mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're only as good as good job. But yeah. yeah, whatever. You know, we've we've worked together. We've got the audience back. I've made it look like I'm in charge, now you can do one. But I don't know, maybe that's me being a bit of a pessimist.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> fascinating, because I think when I when I wrote that at the time, I think I saw it very clearly as uh, an Andrew victory, and he's now yeah. Charlie Parker, and he's going to go out, and he's going to achieve all these things. But watching it now, I did just find it a little bit pathetic. It's quite a sort of pyrrhic victory in some ways. It's like, you know, you had did one great performance in front of, I don't know, Fifty jazz nerds. <laughs> it's not like it's not going to change your life necessarily.
0: No, um, but I suppose this is the kind of key question that they'll get in the exam: of do you agree or do you disagree with your points of the article? And it's uh, to me, it's he doesn't. He, he he. I think the kind of pivotal point here is that you've written. Andrew succeeds in achieving his own personal masculine utopia, Mm. which I do think is true. Yes. But I think for whatever reason, when we talk about it in classes, they get caught up in the idea of, is he better than Fletcher? And I don't Mm. think it's about that. I don't think it's that the end of Whiplash isn't that Andrew all of a sudden is superior to Fletcher and has won this fight. I think it's that he's just there and he's kind of met him on this kind of mutual respect level.
1: Yeah, I I think that's probably the right way to look at it because that, as you say, I think that line is really key. His own, Mm. because his own utopia by that point. I think when we first see him playing drums in that practice room, he wants to be Charlie Parker. He wants to be great. By the end, the only thing he wants is to impress Fletcher. Yeah, I don't think he's thinking about his career beyond that. He and I mean, because that's what pulls him back in ultimately.
0: Because there's a really it's, short scene with his dad in his kitchen where he says his opinion really matters to you, doesn't it? Yes. He? And Andrew just says, yes. And his dad just kind of accepts it, almost in yeah. a knowing of, well, nothing that I can say is going to change exactly.
1: that. Exactly. He, he very, because they're having a conversation about him joining the band. Yeah. And Andrew just says, really pathetically, actually, in a really meek voice, I think he likes me more now. <laughs> and that's when he you know, he asks him yeah, yeah yeah and he goes does does it... oh, his opinion really matters to you and i think that's that's so telling that everything about andrews masculinity is wedded to what fletcher thinks about him yeah on the dinner table scene he's only able to be the arrogant guy he is on that dinner table because he feels like he has the approval of the ultimate alpha man
0: <laughs> yeah cuz now he's finally got it and it's like oh wait a minute everything is great again
1: yeah that's it <laughs> i i play in the best jazz band in in whatever yeah uh he now because of Fletcher sees that as being more of a masculine achievement than being a football star which I think most people would probably say that being a football star is a more traditionally masculine achievement oh
0: yeah yeah definitely
1: than being a drummer in a
0: jazz band (laughs) there is a fantastic dig to go back to that scene from Andrew's dad where um, he says, they'd say like, oh, why don't you come play with us? And he says two words, you'll never hear from the NFL. And then Andrew's dad says, are from Lincoln Center. And that gets left, I think, because, again, for, for my students who are, you know, 15, 16 years old, they don't really know what Lincoln Center is. And it's referenced a little bit in the film, but the idea that this huge kind of orchestra I might just say no to Andrew, and that's the kind of level pegging that they're going for there. But I just think it's a really underrated little bit of, you know, yeah. writing. And, and that's it. And, and by the
1: end, Lincoln Centre doesn't matter to him by the end. It literally, <laughs> Let's do the it
0: little could, one in front of all these people.
1: Yeah, it couldn't matter to him less. All he wants is to get that, that jewel with with Fletcher where they end, yeah. you know, in a score draw. <laughs>
0: oh, Yeah. So I think, because I, you've watched it again recently, I've watched it, again, like I mentioned earlier, I think four times um, in the past year. Um, I do think it's a great film, and I think for the students that are listening to this and I think for the, everyone who's kind of thinking about how they're going to answer question five on paper one, um, your opinion is your opinion. Um, and I think that ultimately what you need to do is you need to look at Tom's article and you need to think, do I agree with Tom? Do I disagree with Tom? Um, I personally think Tom raises uh, very valid points in his article and ultimately that has formed the response that a lot of students go for towards the end. Um, so this has been a pleasure, Tom. Thank you Yeah, I mean, much. the beauty
1: of it is I'm not even sure I necessarily agree with Tom 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: agree with past Tom anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, that's the fascinating thing. And I think that's the fascinating thing about Whiplash is it's such a studyable movie in a lot of ways. And I think Damien Chazelle as a whole... Is, mm. is very studyable. Like, there's a comparison to be made with the masculinity in First Man.
0: Have you seen the little thing? I put it in one of my slides where um, he always he's ended those three films: so Whiplash, La La Land, and First Man, with the characters looking at each other. Yes. Um, and I just I didn't realise that, and I think until after after I'd seen First Man. Um,
1: yeah, there's there's something supremely confident about Neil Armstrong. Yeah. In that film, like he, because he knows his purpose, he knows he's good at his job, and and he sort of knows he's going to achieve things. And then that final shot is him looking at, at Claire Foy, and it is, in many ways, almost a more euphoric moment than it is in in Whiplash. Yeah, because he's he's like, well, I'm back from the moon. I didn't die in space. I've achieved <laughs> this here. great th- great thing, which people are going to talk about forever. He managed to, you know, improvise the most iconic <laughs> sentence ever uttered by a human being.
0: Because I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of First Man. I like La La Land, but I did take a lot of coming. I mean, I, 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 like I think La La
1: First Man is is a solid workman like film. Yeah, more than it is. You know, so like, it's not Giselle, flourish, is yeah, it? yeah. Like Damien Chazelle's, he's what he's around thirty. He's yeah. clearly just a film nerd. Yeah, and and so I think. Whiplash is, is such a fascinating thing because it is this little compact thing which is so nerdy. It's so like it is in many ways a sort of film studies one oh one class. whiplash. It's is. like
0: my friends all do this. Like they're all jazz musicians. Yeah. I've watched them all do this. I'm gonna make a film about that. Yeah, sort of a his like, thing, because
1: yeah. they have La La Land and then the Eddie on Netflix and it's all well, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> let's do jazz. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but no, I no. think it's fascinating. I think it's a really uh interesting movie, uh, a really great movie. I still love it. I thought it was really exceptional um, watching it. And I think there are elements of it that are more complex than they initially seem. Like, Mm. I think we do a lot of and I don't know, this might be something you talk about. We do a lot of sort of screen time analysis of female characters. Like, I remember it coming up with Margot Robbie in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and uh, Anna Paquin in The Irishman. Yeah. Um, And it's it's a bit like the Bendel test in some ways. It's a really good jumping off point mm. to analyze the, the way a female character is depicted.
0: Well, I, suppose, I think that's why initially I thought, well, if I look at how much Nicole was in this film, mm. I think when I'd kind of gone on that trend, it was if she was going to be in it for any longer than about 30 minutes, I wasn't going to bother putting the cut together. Mm. But then when I realized it was nine, I thought, Yes, I'll put the cut together and I'll show it again in the class that i yeah. you know, that I do this lesson in. Um, yeah, so that was a Yeah, that's definitely a key point that we do look at. Thank you very much for listening. And thanks once again to Tom for his time and his insight today. Hopefully understanding more about the author's views on the film and his opinions raised in the specialist writing will go a long way to influence your responses to question five on paper one. You can help support On Film by following us on Twitter at Farrandon Film by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Farrandon Film by leaving a five star review at your favorite podcast provider And by supporting our sponsor, Offworld Tees, where if you head over to their website today, you can use the code FARAND, which is F-A-R-R-A-N-D, for 15% off your order. Stay safe, look after each other, and I'll see you next time.